Well, as we continue on our Lenten sermon series, we are with Jesus and the apostles in the upper room. And Judas has gone out to betray Jesus. And so it's just his intimates, those who are believers and seeking to believe and seeking to be his disciples and follow him and grow in the knowledge and love of him. And so Jesus, at this very tender time, is trying to teach them, teach them about what true discipleship is about, not only what it means to grow, but what they will be facing in the future. And so when he comes to this moment, he uses a very familiar image in order to teach what he's trying to teach them. And it's the vine. The vine, which is used in an analogy, he's used in parables. We see, as we saw in the first reading from the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 5, you see in Jeremiah 2, you see in Ezekiel 19, you see uh, illusions in the Psalms, and then Jesus will use in Matthew 20, one parable, Mark 12, over and over again, this usage of the vineyard and the vine. And there's different nuances of teaching used in the different parts, but there's some consistencies. Always, the vineyard is created by the Creator, who is God. The vine dresser, the vine grower, is the Father. And Jesus is the vine. He's the one planted on the earth. God incarnate. And one of the things that we know about the vine is that the branches are connected to the vine. And what he's talking about here specifically is that we, as his branches, are meant to be connected to him. That we have this intimate relationship with him. That literally his life is flowing through us by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. That's the image and picture that he's trying to draw. And one of the illusions that he talks about that we'll talk a little bit more about in a few moments is this whole idea of what happens to the trimmings, the cuttings that are cut off because they're not producing fruit. They're actually taking away from the plant. He talks about them being thrown into the fire. And it's interesting because as much as Jesus was not a vine grower himself. That wasn't his job when he was growing up. What was his job? He was a carpenter and a carpenter's son. He understood wood and the value of wood. You know what we do with vines today? We make wreaths out of them, right? And creative things. But what Jesus would recognize is the value of wood then. And the value of those cut off vines was for fire. Just to throw into the fire. Because they didn't use them for anything. They were worthless back then. Just like Jesus was not a fisherman per se. He talked about fishing for men. And he knew about fishing. Well, he knew about vines. They were all over. They were used for making wine. And so Jesus says, you need to take those off and then... People would get rid of them. They would just burn them because they had no use. And I learned about vines and branches and growing grapes early in my life. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. 
But my mom's dad, my grandfather on my mom's side, was a huckster. Not the bad term, huckster, okay? He was a real huckster, which is a fruit and vegetable salesman. And he had a storefront, but early in his life, he came over as a little kid from Italy. I know, Kranz is not Italian. Don't miss that, okay? Kranz is German. That's my dad's side. We had two of the three access powers in my house. But my mom was Panza, Italian. By the way, it means stomach. So this roly-poly little Italian guy, my grandfather, when he was younger, had this horse and cart that he used to deliver fruits and vegetables, some of which he grew, some of which he bought at market, had a storefront. Then when he got a little older and successful, he bought a truck. And when I was a little kid... I would go out there periodically and I would help him do deliveries. Well, he showed me when I went out there how to trim the grapevine, the branches away from the grapevine. And so it's near and dear to my heart when I hear this story, this analogy, this parable that Jesus would tell about the vine and grapes. And it's really interesting because my dad, who also liked gardening, eventually would see this, and so he decided to plant vines. And guess who became the pruner? Because I knew how to do it. And so I knew something about it. Now, my grandfather wouldn't really use these grapes for eating, per se. They were for making wine, and there's some great stories about that. Not for now. Possibly for another time. But it was just wonderful to grow up around that. And when I read this, what Jesus talks about is very real to me. And the first thing that he says is that we are called to bear fruit, good fruit. And if you look throughout the pages of Scripture, when Scripture talks about bearing fruit, it's not just one kind. It's varied kind of fruit and what this fruit looks like for our lives and what Jesus is talking about in different places, what Scripture is talking about in different places as to what the fruit is meant to be about. In this particular context, he talks about the fruit of obedience, the fruit of righteousness. Not that we are legalistic. Don't misunderstand that. Yes, we are to follow his commandments, but not legalistically, because it doesn't mean that we necessarily love him when we're doing that, which is part of the context here. It doesn't mean we're necessarily loving others, but he does call us to obedience, the fruit of righteousness that comes out in our lives, because that honors and glorifies him, which he talks about here. It blesses other people. That's what we're called to do. And so there's this fruit of obedience, not even perfectionistic. I've gone through that in my life. At times I still wrestle with that. And we can be obnoxious when we're like that. I can vouch for it. It's not helpful. The other fruit that we read about in Scripture 
is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That fruit that has often been described as the character of Christ, that we are to bear because we abide in Him. Because His Spirit flows through us, because He is our very lifeblood. Not because we produce it. He produces it in us. His Spirit flowing through us. That's how we produce that fruit. His character in our lives. The fruit of good stewardship. That we live grateful lives. Generous lives. Because we're not holding on to the things of this life. But rather because we recognize the blessing that he's done for us. That it's because of him we have what we have. Because he's given us gifts and talents and abilities. He's given us time and resources that we share. Grateful lives. Thankful lives. That we don't see a lot of. We see a lot of selfishness in our culture. And that when he talks about 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold in other places, he's talking about other believers, that people are so hesitant to share their faith, especially today. Because our culture can be so oppressive when it comes to sharing faith in Jesus Christ. But we are called to bear fruit, his fruit, that befits righteousness. That, In other words, we become holy like Jesus. And we look at his life. People are so selective when they talk about being Christ-like or be like Jesus. They're so selective instead of looking at the whole picture and all the different kinds of fruit that he talks about. So that we are seeking to bear all of the fruit. All of the fruit. And then he goes on to the way that we produce this kind of fruit is we have to be pruned. That pruning needs to take place. And if you look again at Scripture, pruning is referred to in two different ways. The first is the whole notion and idea of discipline. And discipline is not always fun. It's just not. You know, sometimes we have to be disciplined in what we eat. And sometimes we have to be disciplined in exercise. And sometimes people choose not to do that. We know. And it can be problematic. But when it comes to being a disciple, discipline is talked about in terms of the spiritual disciplines that help us to grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord. But it's also talked about in terms of how the Holy Spirit seeks to guide us and how the Lord uses other people to guide us and sometimes chastise us and rebuke us because we need it. We need it. We're like children that need to be disciplined. Nobody likes it. How many really like it? Nobody. But we need it. It's how we grow. And listen to one scripture about this whole idea. It comes from Hebrews chapter 12. My child. And I love the way scripture and Jesus at times talks about 
my child or children. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every child he accepts. We need to understand if we love our children, we discipline them. We guide them. We direct them. We help them. And that's what God wants to do with us. And notice it says, don't despise it. How many people just don't want to be told? They don't want to be corrected. They want to live according to their own will, not his will. And that's a problem. That's a problem in our culture and a problem in the church. When scripture talks about iron sharpens iron. We need each other for support and accountability and encouragement. It's part of what it means to love one another. I don't want to do things that hurt other people if I can help it. I think it's one of the reasons the Lord gave me my wife. She's strong enough to tell me. We need that. Pruning is critical. You know what happens if you don't prune the branches from the vine? It goes hog wild. Dozens of shoots come out. And the reading from Isaiah talks about these wild grapes and wild plants. That's what a grapevine ends up looking like. And really what you have to do when you prune a vine, you have to be ruthless. Ruthless. You have to cut it down to four to six liters so that it produces an abundance of grapes. And sometimes I remember it was really, really difficult. Do I cut this? Do I cut this? I need pruning. The Lord needs to prune away the sin from my life so that I don't hurt other people. So that I'm not hurtful for myself. So that I glorify God and I'm a good testimony and witness for Him. That's why pruning is necessary. The other kind of pruning that takes place is His pruning. That's called judgment. It's not our job. We have to judge behavior, understand. It's important for our own lives, for our children's lives, for those we love. It's important. But we don't judge people. We allow God to remove them from the body of Christ. We allow God to remove them for eternity. Hence the reference to the fire. It's not our job. We have to be very, very careful when it comes to that. That's the other kind of pruning that God deals with. But that's his job. And I love the word that he uses when he talks about What it means when we're this branch connected to the vine. And the word is abide. Abide. 
Abide means that we are always, always connected to him. How many people have a disconnected life? You know what I mean by a disconnected life? It's like faith is compartmentalized. It's like faith works when I'm at church. When I'm not at church, it doesn't matter. When I shoot up my prayers, I'm very, very pious and holy. When I'm out of my prayer closet, I'm my own person. I'm a different person. When we abide, it's like the apostles walking with Jesus constantly. It's not like we're looking over our shoulder, or he's going to get us again. That's not it. That's not the point. The point is we're in this relationship where we're seeking to grow, and we're seeking to grow in love and develop this relationship that is an ever-deepening relationship. That literally, as I said before, his lifeblood is flowing through us by the power of the Holy Spirit because we can't become what we need to become of our own strength. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. And it's this abiding, it's this constancy, it's this constant mindfulness that we're walking with him. That he is our source and our strength and our very life. That's why abide is related to the word abode. That we live with him. Which means we need to be in constant communication. You know, if you're living with someone... You need to communicate on a regular basis. I don't know how many of you understand that. If you're in a marriage, hopefully if your marriage is okay, you understand that. You know, if you're not in regular communication with your spouse, you're in trouble. How many of you go through life spending two minutes with your spouse and then you're out the door? And then you don't talk to her the rest of the day or him. And that's how a lot of people are in their relationship with the Lord. That's, that doesn't work. That's not abiding. That's not a love relationship that's constantly nurtured. We need to abide with Him. Why? If you caught it in this passage, He said, so that my joy might be in you. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. It's when His Spirit is flowing in us like the life of the vine. You know, we are meant to enjoy. The commandments are not joy killers. Walking with Jesus is not a joy killer if you really, really understand. Do I look miserable to you? I'm really not. This is not an oppressive life that we're talking about. This is a joy-filled life. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. He would later pray in chapter 17, so that my joy might be in you and your joy complete. That's what we want. And that's why when... In this context, he talks about abiding in me and I in you and producing fruit. And it's also in the context of obedience. And we somehow want to disconnect the two. 
Let me read to you, as John reflects later in his life, as one of those in the upper room, when he writes to the church 60 years later. This is chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3. Little children. I love that. It's the way Jesus would sometimes talk to his disciples. It's the mindset that sometimes we need to have when we're dealing with people who are young in their faith or not understanding faith. That we're loving them like little children. Little children, let us love, not in word and speech, but in truth and action. They go hand in glove. Hand in glove. Word and speech, truth and action. We know this, he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. This is not about self-centeredness. This is not about me first. That when we really understand that because we are sinners and that sin needs to be pruned, it's because he went to the cross for us to deal with the power of sin in our lives. That brokenness in our lives. He laid down his life for that purpose. So we lay down our lives for him and for other people. So then he says, love one another. In truth. In action. He goes on to write, all who obey his commandments abide in him and he abides in them. He has his mind when he's writing this on that time in the upper room, that intimate time with Jesus. Saying, this is what I learned 60 years ago. And I've been striving to live in my life by the power of the Holy Spirit working in me. That's what he's saying. That's what it means for our lives. As we seek to grow in the knowledge and love of him. This abiding. And you have to remember the context that he's talking about this joy. What's going on? Last chapter. How did the chapter begin? We talked about it last week. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's talking to his apostles. They sense doom on the horizon. So it's in the midst of talking about them having troubled hearts. It's in the midst of Jesus getting ready to go to the cross. It's in the midst of Jesus saying to them, I am about to be persecuted, killed, and you're going to face persecution. It's not necessarily because this life is all easy and fluff. Or that it's meant to be. Do you know when the best grapes are made for the best wine? When the weather is the harshest. When the climate is the most difficult. If you were ever to do research on, you know how bottles of wine and they rate bottles of wine and the years for the bottles of wine? I don't know how many of you pay attention to this. I semi-do. Not a lot. I have a hard time paying over $12 for a bottle myself. But anyway, you look at it, and the climate, if you were to do research and check the climate, it's when the climate was the harshest. Because joy does not depend on the circumstances. It depends on our relationship with the Lord and how we abide. You don't have to ask how the weather is. 
Because He's got you all the time. No matter what the weather is. That's why we abide. That's why we walk with Him. That's why we're able to have joy no matter what the challenges are. Because His Spirit is flowing in us and through us. That's why we seek to follow His commandments. Because that's how we abide. That's how we are blessed. That's how we are a blessing to others. That's how we grow more and more in love with Him. Not to be oppressed, but to experience more and more joy. This is not about head knowledge belief. This is about true discipleship, which involves a willful decision and a willful life. That love is not just about a feeling, it's about a life. When we really understand faith. When we really understand what it means to be a disciple. Abide with me as I with you. Please bow with me in prayer. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in the gospel this morning, I am the true vine. Lord, so often we tend not to live abiding in you. We tend to compartmentalize our lives, to get caught up in the ways of the world or our own ways. We live with brokenness and sin when it needs desperately to be pruned. We live for ourselves and we end up hurting others. And we discover as we abide with you, Lord, the gift of the joy that we experience, that we share with others. And we glorify you and produce fruit. Lord, I pray this day that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us. That we would learn daily what it means to abide. To grow in the knowledge and love of you. To be blessed. To be a blessing. And to live in your joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.